According to Barna, 47% of active Christian millennials say that evangelizing is wrong. Let's change the stat. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hey everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. Welcome, Tim. How are you today? I'm doing really good. Awesome. We are excited about GoCast and a lot of the purpose behind this podcast and what we are on mission to do is was based on an article from Tom Rayner in mm-hmm. which he said the majority of Protestant churches in America are averaging 10 or less salvations a year, yeah. which is just absolutely shocking. But I recently read another study, a brand new study that came uh, out by Barna Group, which is you're famous for their uh, research, but they found and discovered that 51% of churchgoers in America are unfamiliar with the term, the Great Commission. Huh. 51%. I was like, wow, that's, that's terrible. The, the st- study goes on and says that 64% of Christians today believe evangelizing is optional. Wow. 95% of all Christians, they say, have never led one soul to Christ. And this is the one that, that kind of shook me the most. Mm. But they said 47% of practicing Christian millennials say that evangelism is wrong. Wrong. Is wrong. Hmm. So we are on mission to change that definitely, stat. Definitely. You've been a youth pastor for many years. You've yeah. worked with youth. So tell me, talk to me about the millennial generation, the Gen Z generation ministering to their, what, what you see in them, what drives them, yeah. and how do we as a church minister to them? I've seen a definite difference happen over the last 10 years where, where church and youth groups kind of created their own little fashioned uh, functionality, which is, you know, you're, you're, you're coming to the church, you do your message, you do your games, you, you do your music. And then at the end of the night, after two hours, everyone goes home and right. kids these days, because they have so much access to so much information at their fingertips, uh, information isn't really the, the, the issue it's relationship at this point. That's true. Because yeah. they're so involved in, in, in their devices. And so at this point now in this generation, we need to reach with relationship and instead of teaching or instead of telling them what to believe, we need to teach them why they want to, why they want to believe it. Right. So they have, they're driven by a cause. Yes. Right. So which, which let's give them a cause. And if we're not, I mean, if 47% of them are saying that evangelism is wrong, Mm -hmm. they're driven by somehow they're being fed something that is causing them to think uh, differently than obviously the mission, the great commission that Jesus gave to the church. So we need to somehow as a church, uh, awaken ourselves to that idea and begin talking about this. And really, if we're going to activate them in the church, give them a cause. That's what you're saying? Definitely. Right. So our guest today is awesome. He's, he's a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Daniel Gregory from Lehigh, Florida. And I say he's a good friend of mine because I've got, man, I've got a soft spot in my heart because he introduced me to the best clam chowder <laughs> I've ever had, have ever eaten at uh, Pike's Place in, in Seattle. So it, it, he's, he's near and dear. Soul food. He gave me soul food. Yeah. But he's, he pastors a church in Lehigh, Florida. I'm not sure why God likes him better than me. <laughs> uh, we're, we're sitting here in September and it's snowing. Yeah. And he gets to pastor God called him to Florida. We're, we'll sort all that out later. But he's, <laughs> he's uh, pastoring a church that he took over from his dad. He's doing a great job. And yes. he talks about 
in the conversation, uh, he talks about ministering to millennials and some of the the ways that he's been doing it and some of the things that have been effective for him. So we're excited yeah. about that conversation. But he also talked about closing the back door in a church, which I think is paramount. Necessary. Yeah. yeah, it's necessary and is, is on the front of the minds of our pastors everywhere. Yes. Is, man, we can open the front door, get visitors in, but how do we keep them and retain them? So mm-hmm. he talks a lot about that and about ministering to millennials. So we're excited to get to this conversation with Pastor Daniel Gregory from Lehigh, Florida. Well, hi, Daniel. Welcome to the program, Go Cast. We are so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Down here in Florida, it's nice and sunny. You know, you're up there in Canada. Still, <laughs> or are you guys doing all right? Yeah, we're we're doing okay. We're we're doing okay, but yeah, yeah, don't, don't rub in the Florida part too here. much. <laughs> yeah, don't rub in that too much. Yeah, we get to. <laughs> <laughs> We're not jealous at all. Not, not sure that. why God likes you better, calls you to Florida and me up here. Yeah, anyway, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. So, man, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in ministry. You, I know you just took over uh, your church, but you've been in ministry for man, pretty much your whole life. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I mean, I feel like I've been in ministry since I was a fetus, you know, because like my dad was a pastor from like, you know, right when I was a kid. So. We, we planted our first church when I was a child. I was about maybe four years old in yep. uh, the Los Angeles area in California. Yep. Um, so, you know, just grew up on the front row of the, the church, you know, coloring books and all that sort of thing. So, wait, you went from California to Florida? That like, No. So, we went all over the place. So, okay. our first church was in um, Los Angeles. Um, and then we moved to Guam. We were in Guam for a while. Wow. Back to LA, and then we moved to Fiji, and I was raised in Fiji from about the time I was like nine years old to nineteen. Uh, so we were missionaries over there, planted three churches, and uh, spent a lot of my formative years and stuff um, in Fiji and whatnot. So um, very cool. Got involved in ministry and stuff from a young age over there as well. So uh, I was really creative growing up. So did a lot of like dramas and stuff. Um, uh, was a got into songwriting. Uh, was a rapper for a little while. You know, word <laughs> with every. Like to hear some of that stuff, man. Uh, no, we don't. We don't bring that out. <laughs> that stays buried. Uh, we don't talk about that very much. But um, so I did that. I, I actually got into film from a young age. Uh, I started doing like music videos over in Fiji, and uh, made actually Fiji's first um, movie. It was a Christian movie, but we also don't talk about that either because you know standards have evolved since yeah. then. <laughs> um, so I uh, just did a lot of creative stuff. And then we came over to Florida roughly about 13 years ago, started the church that we're at now. Um, and in ministry, they're kind of, you know, when you plant a church, you start off wearing a lot of hats. So when we started the church, I was the worship leader, the drummer, uh, the sound guy and the projectionist at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so just playing the drums, singing into a microphone, putting the next song up, adjusting sound, all wow. that sort of thing. And then as the church grew, like responsibilities changed and that sort of thing. And you know, one thing led to another, and now I'm where I am. So yeah. So t- t- tell us about uh, Victory Church in Lehigh, Florida. It's uh, I I love the name. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> you know, it's a name that other people try to steal a lot. <laughs> you know, we came up with it first, and then other people just come along and try and repurpose it. But you know what? Like we're we're generous, and uh, <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. So, um, so we. <laughs> So we, uh, our church in Fiji was was also Victory as well uh, as Victory Christian Center. Yeah. Um, they spell center like the the European way though, so the E at the end, all that sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then when we came here, we called it Victory uh, Christian Center as well, and eventually just lost the Christian Center and just went with Victory. Um, so our church is about 13 years old. Uh, like I said, we came out of the mission field, and uh, we had three churches established in Fiji, and God, my dad felt God uh, leading him to come back to the States and plant again. And uh, so we, we came here not really knowing where we were going and uh, just drove about 10,000 miles around the United States. And I remember, you know, I'm like 19 years old or so, and every town we went to, We'd be praying, is this the town that we're going to plant a church? And we yeah. finally came to Lehigh and felt like this was the place. And it was funny because when we came to Lehigh, a lot of people were saying, hey, you don't want to plant a church there because uh, they called it like the church killing town because a lot of churches tried to plant here and they just wouldn't uh, wouldn't work for some reason or another. Um, and a lot of the mentality is because uh, our, our town is kind of like a bedroom community for a larger city next to us. Mm. So a lot of people live here, but they commute into church at the larger city. And uh, so just churches that were planned here never really seemed to work very well, but we felt led to, to start here. So we started with just my family um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, completely independent. We weren't connected or affiliated with anybody and, uh, you know, had to decide where we we're going to rent based off of how much our family could pitch in for rent every week, you know, um, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, just started it. And that was about 13 years ago. And yeah. You know, God's blessed it ever since. And so now we're at about roughly about 500 people. Um, so we're really missional church, really focused on, you know, bringing uh, the lost to Christ. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of the demographics of our church is very diverse, a lot of different um, ethnicities and stuff. Yeah. Uh, usually uh, a lot of people are younger, young adults, young families. Um, you know, we've we've been really blessed, man. We've got a lot of uh, God's opened a lot of doors for us in terms of like investments and stuff. We Church has a lot of property, and we're really well situated in the center of town. We got 13 acres right in the middle of the city, wow, uh, which is awesome. So we've That's got awesome. some room for growth and stuff. Uh, we got a daycare with about 200 kids in it. I mean, so it's it's going pretty well now. So it's it's exciting, and it's it's cool to look back and see where it all started. So we're actually right now we're in my office right here. Is this is the building we started off in? Yeah, used to be well, the movie theater for our town, and we started off renting one screen because it was the cheapest place that we could find. They charge us 100 bucks a week. And so we were renting one screen, and then eventually it worked up to where we ended up buying the whole building. Wow. So now my office is where the projection booth used to be. So it's uh, it's cool having like this much history in our town and even in this building, too. That's really cool. Yeah, so you talk about being a missional church, outreach church. How many salvations or baptisms do you guys do in a year on average? Roughly, I mean, on average, probably about like 150 salvations. Wow. Um, yeah. So last year we had around 90 baptisms, give or take. This year, actually, we're doing I mean, it's 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 grown a lot this year in terms of salvations. We're at about 150 so far this year. Wow. Yeah. So we're we're a little bit over halfway through the year and about what we were at last year by the end of it. So that's awesome. This year, I think, is about 60. So that's really good. So tell, tell me about, you know, one of the the lives that got changed or somebody that got saved in the church and, and how their life miraculously changed after coming to Christ. Yeah, I mean, there's that's the cool thing about being like a missional church is that you get those stories a lot. Yeah. And those are just really exciting when you see them. I mean, I could probably give you a bunch. I, I think some off the top of my head is there's um, uh, there was a so our, our church has been in this town for about 13 years and I started off as a youth pastor here. And so there was a girl that came into the youth uh, probably about 10 years ago mm-hmm. as a teenager, um, you know, became a Christian, all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, as as teenagers go through high school, maybe getting around the wrong influences and stuff, she ended up kind of falling away from God, um, ended up getting pregnant very, very young, involved with the wrong crowd, you know, drugs, that sort of thing. 
uh, ended up becoming a stripper and kind of just going in the exact opposite direction of her relationship with God. Um, and just recently, I mean, after maybe eight or nine years of not being in church, she came back uh, to church, got saved, um, rededicated her life to God, um, went online, like on Facebook, and we just started like just witnessing on her Facebook to everybody about like, you know, owning things that she's done in her life and being like, you know, and I've, I've made decisions and mistakes. And, you know, there's a lot of things I own for myself, but I recognize I've been running from God and not living for him. And now I am. And I want to encourage you guys to join me. And I'm telling you, man, like she's been coming for about maybe a month or so now. Every week she comes, she's bringing people. Last wow. week, I think she brought like nine people with her um, to church and stuff. So she's brought her whole family. Her whole family's got saved. She's brought neighbor, uh, neighbors and stuff. She has some people that are driving about 50 minutes just to come to church. Wow. Yeah. So that's just been incredible. There's another young lady that was just in. Uh, she just cleaned my office a few minutes ago. She got saved about two months ago. Uh, she was uh, she was an addict. She was on all kinds of drugs, uh, kind of like her life going down the toilet kind of a thing. Yeah. And uh, she came in one of those situations where it's like, I need God, because if I don't get God, my life's, you know, it's going to go into a bad direction. So she came in, got saved a little bit over a month ago. And um, I mean, she's just incredible. She comes in every single Friday uh, with money because she gets her paycheck. And as soon as she gets her paycheck, she takes because she works across the street from the church. She takes a break, comes yep. over, and says, I want to give my like tithe and offering first wow. before I do anything else. Brand new Christian. She comes over on her free time. She's just been volunteering. She helps clean the building and stuff on the week. Um, and just I mean, just a joy to like be around. Like one of those people wow. that walks in the room and lights it up. And uh, it's funny because I walk into she works at a McDonald's and, and she she got a job there a couple months ago. And now she's uh, one of the managers. And uh, when I walk in there, like everybody in that place, like knows her. They know she's a believer. She, they know that she goes to our church. When I come walking in, she's like, ah, it's my pastor. <laughs> you know? So just awesome, man. I mean, you just see that stuff all the time. We got people that were criminals and they came here. Their lives are turned around and now they're, they're leaders or, you know, ministering and stuff like that. So it's so just incredible. Yeah. And that's why we do what we do. I just had a conversation with a, with a young girl at the back door on, on Sunday, just on her way out. And she had tears in her eyes. And I looked at her and said, Hey, you doing okay? And she's like, pastor, I just got to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She said, I've been, I've been at the church for a couple months, gave my life to Jesus. I've been trying to get my dad to come and he hates church, doesn't want anything to do with church. He's an alcoholic. And he came this morning for the first time. I was like, Oh wow. I'd like, I'd like to meet him. I went to meet him and uh, he was carrying a new believer's Bible and I looked at her and she's like, yeah, he got saved this morning. And she had tears streaming down her face. And I was like, man, I, I turned to one of our, our volunteers at the time. I was like, that's why we do what we do. I mean, it's those stories, those those individual life. Yeah, I mean, it's not just about growing, you know, numbers in a church, but it's the individuals that get changed, man. It's it's the it's why we do what we do. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy if you stop and think about like how every person matters to God, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, just, uh, I mean, how exciting and, and how exciting it is for us as like pastors or people in church to see those stories and those people come in. But like, think about like what God thinks when he looks down or, or, or Christ that, you know, that was a life that he died for. Yeah. And just to see that like fruition of, of his sacrifice completed is is pretty awesome. Yeah. So cool. So you just took over the church not that long ago from, you know, as senior pastor, your dad handed it off to you. So how's the transition gone so far? Um, it's gone pretty well. It was, it's funny because we were in transition for a while. We started the conversation about seven years ago, um, about the transition. Yeah. Uh, my dad just always felt called to like apostolic ministry and, um, 
really heavy heart for like uh, missions, helping other pastors and planting churches and stuff like that. And so that was, that's kind of always been, you know, his heartbeat and stuff. So we've, we've kind of taken steps towards that transition over the past seven years. Yeah. It was funny. Like when we finally announced it, it was super anticlimactic yeah. uh, because like you, you think it's going to be this big revelation and people are like, yeah, we, yeah, we could tell, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was like, nobody was surprised. There wasn't any gasps and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool. Like, um, you know, people were just really, uh, accepting and excited about it. Um, you know, and I mean, there was obviously with any transition, you know, there's going to be bumps and stuff in the road, but all of that, anything that was bumpy was behind the scenes and conversations and stuff. Um, and, and for the church as a whole, you know, they just, they got to experience, I think what a healthy transition should look like, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, that's, that's just a part of ministry, right? You know, yeah. like we're, you know, I, I heard Andy Stanley say once that in a healthy organization, you'll always have a place if you aim to replace yourself. Mm. And so we always need to be looking at, okay, how do I raise up the next leader, the next person? Um, how do I, you know, hand what I'm doing off so that I can be free to do the next thing and to move up, you know? Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Now, you and your dad, I mean, you have you have a very similar heart to your dad, right? And so and that transition over seven years, it makes it makes it definitely a lot easier. But uh, the vision is the same. But I, I'm sure that the methodologies that, that you guys use to accomplish the same vision are, are different. So talk about some of the changes that you, you've made in the transition to increase, you know, the reach and, and why you saw the need to make them. Well, I think the important thing for me to keep in mind is that I, I, I need to recognize my dad's wisdom and his experience, yeah. but then just give it context. Mm-hmm. Um, because as society changes, as things uh, evolve, um, I, at this moment, am going to have a better understanding of how to reach this generation than the previous generation will. Yeah. And there's going to come a day when a generation underneath me is going to have a better understanding of how to do that. Um, but the, the great thing about the people that have come before us is that they have wisdom and experience, which is so valuable. And I think a lot of young people in ministry, um, they, they know, uh, the culture, they know the language, they know how to interact with people. And so that gives them maybe like a false sense of security. Um, and so they don't lean as heavily as they should on people that have come before and, and, and what they have learned over their lifetime. So it's important for me to keep that in mind and to recognize that like, I have the, I have the same heart because I have the same DNA as him. Yeah. Um, so we have the same vision. And I, I look at it as he handed me a baton and uh, the baton didn't change. Um, we're running the same race, running towards the same goal. Um, but I race in my way and he races in his. So yeah. I, I have a different way of training. I have a different diet, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and those things are different, but the race doesn't change and the mission doesn't change. Um and so there are some things that, that we, that I do need to change, which is a lot of like the methodology or the practice behind it, the practical things, yeah. the things to give that vision context. And so for me, if I had to like nail down some things that I have worked to change, um, just going from one generation to another, um, I, I don't know if this is true of many other pastors, but definitely in my context, I think my dad's generation was very heavy, heavily focused on like maybe finding some star players and kind of like giving a lot of ministry to like a few people. Um, so it was like, okay, the pastors do everything and, you know, they handle a lot of the leadership and stuff like that. And so for me, just kind of going a lot more team focused, right? How to elevate as many people as possible. How do I, um, how do I not hang on to things so tightly and, and be uh, a lot more liberal in how I give those things away, uh, creating a culture where there's buy-in, where there's participation, 
um, where everybody down to somebody serving in our children's ministry feels like an owner. And um, so that's kind of been, you know, a a lot of it, making sure that vision is connected to everything that we do um, and that we're not just, I I think, again, back in in maybe previous generations, um, there was a lot more respect for leaders. And so when a leader told you to do something, you did it because your leader told you to do it. And now that doesn't fly as much. Yeah. Um, And so now, like particularly with millennials, they want to know why they're doing it. Yeah, that's good. And, um, and, and I think people criticize millennials a lot, but I love millennials because like they're the most idealistic generation, I think. Yeah. And if you can just get them to believe in what they're doing, like they'll do whatever it takes. You know what I mean? They'll live on ramen noodles and Skittles, um, you know, if, if they have to, to, uh, to see something get accomplished, right. Have to connect them to that mission, um, in a different way than, than people that have, you know, maybe done so in, in previous generations. Um, recognizing my dad's blind spots, um, you know, things like closing the back door. My dad was really, really big on having the biggest front door possible, mm-hmm. you know, so that's why we have a culture in a church where we can have like, you know, 150 people come in and receive Christ. But, you know, then a church of 500 people, you know, after 13 years, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the front door is massive, but the back door is massive as well. So some of the changes that I need to make is, okay, how do I not mess with the front door, but find ways to decrease the size of the back door? Wow. Not that you don't have a back door because some people need to go. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a door that's that people aren't just falling out of unnecessarily. Um, and, and also trying to to build a car that doesn't have quirks, you know, like a car that anyone can drive. You know, that old car that you had and it's like, OK, you got to press the gas down three quarters of the way and then <laughs> turn the key and, you know, lean on the stereo and then it will start. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have to give somebody like a checklist of how to get your car to work. I think sometimes we do ministry like that. Um, and especially if you've been in ministry for a long time, you get accustomed to the process of how to start up your vehicle. Um, but then you don't stop and think about, well, what if something happens to me? Nobody else is going to need no, nobody else is going to know the magic formula to get this vehicle in motion. Right. So I have to automate it and I have to create something that anybody can just pop in intuitively. I stick the key in the ignition. I turn it and it's on and ready to go. Wow. You know? Man, that is so good. There's so much gold in just what in what you just talked about. There's so much in there. Let's park there for for a second because I, closing the back door and there's a lot of what you said just kind of interweaves with one another. You know, closing the back door, getting you know uh, less emphasis on a few leaders and more on you know empowering the volunteers and getting everybody active in in the common mission. Well, if you do that, that that closes the back door in a big way too, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of elements, I think, that go into closing that back door. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to say closing the back door because I, I really do think it's valuable that we don't have a mentality that we need to hang on to absolutely everybody. Sometimes it's good for health, the health of your church that people go. They don't fit the culture. They don't fit the DNA. Yeah. Sometimes it brings people in for a season and he's leading them somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but that we maybe put a screen over the back door, you know? Right. Yeah. We are called to disciple them, right? So we want to, we want to, yeah. Yeah. There's so many elements on, on how you do that. And, yeah. you know, it's. It's not just one thing like you have to do, I think, like a multivariate analysis and say, okay, you know, is it our discipleship program? Um, Are we not discipling these people? Well, Um, is it our follow up system? Mm -hmm. Maybe people are coming in and they're getting saved and we're not, uh, you know, keeping track of them the way that we should. Um, You know, we we have no process for, uh, you know, reaching back out to them after they come. Um, Maybe it's our next steps. Maybe it's uh, teaching them like the foundations of Christianity. Maybe it's plugging them into a ministry. I think there's a lot of elements into it. You don't want to put so all your much. eggs into one basket. Yeah. Um, 
but everything that you do basically just closes the size or decreases the size of that back door until it gets to a point that you feel is is where your church needs it to be. Yeah. So talk to me about what you're focused on right now. Like, so right now you and your team, you're in a, in a staff meeting, you're focused on, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this better. We're focused on this part as, as closing the back door. Walk, walk me through what you guys are focused on right now. So, I mean, just honestly, it's, it's just having, I mean, we, we've been spending a while having conversations about the back door yep. and what that looks like and defining it. Um, because once we define it, then we can start to articulate what we need to do about it. Yeah. So and some of the stuff I'm going to say is just going to be stuff that some people are like, yeah, we've known about that for a long time. Um, but it's just conversations that we've never had, you know? Right. Um, so even something as simple as like, uh, like a growth track, um, we never had that before. Right. So it was like people come into the church and they get saved. And then we had something that we called the the newcomers dinner yep. at our church. And so what that was is you came and we connected with you. We talked with you and we told you about the church. And that was it. That was literally our next steps for anybody that came to the church. Okay, so someone comes says, I'm a newcomer. I come to your church. Um, you know, I, I say I want to I want to connect. I'm connecting with somebody. Uh, you invite me to a dinner. Is that dinner like that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, or is that dinner it sometime? Once a month. Yeah, that's what it was previously. It was once a month. Yep. Uh, and so we would get people to come to that and, you know, just try and connect with them there. Hopefully they came to our church for the whole month if they came at the beginning of the month, you know. Uh, so, so hopefully they're sticking around long enough for the dinner. Um, so now we've said, okay, how do we add to that? How do we create something a little bit more consistent where you're not waiting like 30 days to, you know, get in on it if you came at the wrong time of the month. Um, and then, uh, you know, also adding, we never had uh, small groups or anything before. So we've added small groups as well. And so when you come to church, you're new, okay, where do you live? How can we connect you to a group that's in your neighborhood? Um, so that you're building community and you're building relationship and that sort of thing. That's really cool. Small groups are are vital, I think, in in uh, in con- keeping people connected. It's also a way to empower uh, a lot of people in your church to to pastor others, right? There's a lot of needs. When church gets to a you know 500, like you guys are, it, it gets to a certain size. You, I mean, it's not possible for you to pastor everybody. It's not possible for your staff to pastor everybody. So it's it's great to have small groups that can that can take care of one another's needs. Yeah. And that's, I mean, something I've been telling our small group leaders is that pastoral care happens at the level of the small group. And so one of the things that was really encouraging for me was there's a a lady in the church and her husband passed away suddenly. And, uh, you know, I got the phone call that he had passed away and, uh, you know, I was out with my grandmother for her birthday and all this stuff. And so I was like, man, I need to get out there. Um, and by the time I was able to get out, there, it was like five or six hours after he had passed. And, uh, you know, I go to her house and, um, and she had been surrounded by people from her small group all day. Mm. I got there. There are people from a small group there while I'm there talking to her. Other people come in. They bring her dinner. Um, they sit down with her. And, and I actually got to a point where I kind of just stepped back and watched her small group leader and other members of the small group comfort her, praying for her and all that stuff. And I started realizing um, I'm, I'm unnecessary. Like I'm redundant to the situation. And that's a great position as a pastor to be in. Because they're actually able to provide her better care than I am. Yeah. Because they have the availability. They have the relationship. They know her. They know where she lives. I had to find out what her address was and get it from somebody so I could go there because I'd never been to her house before. Yeah. And they, you know, they've been to her house multiple times already, you know. And uh, and so just watching them come around her and be there for her and help her. I'm like, man, they, they're able to do that at a degree that I just can't. If I have 500 people in my church, I can't be there for every single person. Yeah. It's just mathematically impossible. But if we have small groups of like 10 people, they can be there for each other. 
And that's just, that's a really awesome thing to see in action in a situation like that. That's so good. You know, that's exactly like what what you're ex- describing is exactly like what Paul described in Ephesians 4, right? Where, you know, the path, the role of the pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? And and you equip the small groups to do the ministry and you as a pastor, you know, get to sit back and watch that happen. I mean, that's fulfilling our role as much as anything. So that's that's awesome. So what, what advice would you give to a, a young leader that's in a similar position t- to you, having just taken over? From a founder, and I mean, and you know, this in your situation might be a little bit different than some are, where it's a father and a son, and that transition was happening and intended to happen over a period of time. But there's a big difference from taking over a, from a founder or somebody who's been, you know, uh, a, a long-standing senior leader in the church. So, you know, how much change do you think it's it's wise to make, and and how quickly do you do you make that kind of change? I think an important thing to keep in mind is that if you're there. It's because you believe in the vision. Yeah. Um, so how do you honor the vision and enhance the vision? Like you can put your spin on it. You can um, you can kind of do things practically differently um, or maybe in a way that's maybe a little bit more relevant to, you know, the time or the culture. But how do you honor and enhance the vision of the house? Um, and, and keep in mind that like when you are given something that belonged to somebody else, um, that you're a steward of that. Um, and, and, and you need to keep in mind, cause I think there's this mentality that a lot of people have is like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to make it, it mine and I'm going to change it. And then it's going to be me and it's got my DNA on it. Um, but I think we all have to keep in mind that we're all interim leaders. Like every one of us is an interim leader and, and like, I'm not going to be in this position forever. Somebody else is going to come after me and take this. I'm either going to run this church into the ground and it's not going to be here anymore, or I'm going to hand it off to somebody else. And my preference is that I hand it off to somebody else. Yeah. Um, so how do I handle the vision that I inherit so that it will sow seeds for how the next person handles mine? Right, right. So I think it's important how I honor that, um, and knowing that I can make changes, um, but I have to do it in a way that honors what comes before. Mm -hmm. Um, and then understanding like the different types of changes. You have some, some changes you can make a little bit more efficiently than others. Um, there are some changes that you can handle more like a speedboat. We're like, eh, eh, now we're going to do, we're going to go this way. Now we're, we're going to go backwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're very maneuverable. Um, and it's not going to disrupt a lot if you turn on a dime. Really? But then there's others that are kind of like freight ships. And they take a lot longer to slow down, a lot longer to turn. And you have to know which one is which. And I think you get into some, some sticky situations when you try and treat like a cruise liner or a freight ship like a speedboat. That's how you get Titanic situations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not avoiding this iceberg, you know, so I need to you know, just plow on ahead or, or plan out my turn, uh, be more prepared. Um, understanding the context of your situation. Like for me, it's a little bit different than some people because I've been in this church since it started. I've been very active in ministry. This transition was seven years in the, in the making and it happened gradually. So it's a lot easier for me, I think, than the person that maybe just got hired to come in within the past six months to take over. Um, so I wasn't new to the church. You might be. Um, you might be dealing with older members. Older members generally might be a little bit more resistant to change than younger members. Um, you know, people that are like, hey, I, I was a founding member here and, and this is not how we did things. Uh, you know, it's going to be harder for you. So understanding your context and how to work with uh, the people that you have um, and the situation that you have, I think is super important. But, but also just I think that analogy of the, the speedboat and the freight ship is super important. Because with that, I think you're going to be able to say, okay, I need to, this decision, 
I need to make these steps getting up to that. So yeah. I can be ready to turn this ship within the next year. And, you know, this is a smaller decision. It doesn't affect people. And I can make this decision more readily. And sometimes maybe just acknowledging that maybe it doesn't need to change as much as I think it does. And ask yourself, what's my motivation? What's my heart behind changing this? Is it because I can make it mine? Or is it because I genuinely see a path to make it better? If you genuinely see a path to make something better and you can articulate that, I think people will get behind it. But if you're changing things for the sake of changing it, I think people see that. And that just comes across as vanity and it's harder to yeah. get people to join you. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. So, I mean, the church you've been a part of is has always been very missional. It's always been about soul winning and, and that. And I'm sure you've encountered lots of of pushback, especially from church people. How come we're not more focused on us? Or, like, so, so, I mean, many, you know, there's, there's, is there a common myth that you've, that you've uh, heard out there about being a missional church or, or a soul winning church or seeker sensitive church that you just kind of want to debunk a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think the common misconception is that being a seeker sensitive church makes you spirit ignorant, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, that you somehow have to water down the gospel in order to be compelling. And uh, if people are coming to your church, it's because you're not preaching Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have this mentality as if it's one or the other. Like you can be a church that preaches the gospel or you can be a church that attracts people in. And I don't see any reason on earth why you can't be both. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if Peter could preach and 3000 people get saved in a day, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, and, and I think we have a lot of room for growth in that area. And so. I think it's just that that misconception that people have that like, OK, if people are coming in, that means you're, you know, you're glorifying Satan or you're, you know, excusing sin or or whatever. Um, but the, the reality of it is, is that like Christ commands us to be compelling. He says, go out into the highways uh, and compel people to come in. Yeah. And so, he, I mean, how do we be compelling? Uh, I think I think uh, Greg Rochelle says we'll do anything short of sin. Yeah. to get people uh, to hear the gospel. And so that's kind of the philosophy we have. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, but at the same time, I'm also going to be compelling. And some of that being compelling is like the way that I live my life, uh, the way that I carry myself, my joy, um, you know, how I interact with my kids and my family, uh, just living like a life that other people would want for themselves. And I think for too often, like the church is just painted like this Renaissance painting that's all drab and you know, gloomy and stuff. And it's like, no, there's, there's a lot more color to the church than what you've been putting out there, you know? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's called the gospel, which is the good news. So good news should be compelling. So why, why is it, why do you think people believe that, you know, in order to win the lost, you have to somehow compromise and that you can't preach the gospel? Why, why do you think that's a common belief? I mean, I, I could say something controversial and say, because people aren't doing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So like, it, you, if you're not, a soul winning church and you see a church that is soul winning, um, that becomes now, and that becomes an ideal because we're supposed to be missional. Like Jesus, the great commission is, is missional, right? Making disciples going out into all the world, you know, reaching the lost, taking the gospel to all creation. So if you're not doing that and you see a church that is, you have two choices. Uh, you can either respond with like humility or hostility. Oh, you can say, okay, you know, they're doing something wrong um, and, and 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 you can look for fault and you can try and tear them down. But when you do that, your mentality is not how do I raise to their level? It's how do I bring them down to my level? Um, and and if they are worse than me or if they're doing something sinful or they're doing something wrong, then I now am divorced of my responsibility to grow and to develop and be everything that God's called me to be. 
And I think the reality is that a lot of Christians are just, uh, we're content in complacency. And when we see somebody else that is doing what we need to be doing, we know that that's going to require a sacrifice of us to get there. We're going to have to sacrifice our time. We're going to have to sacrifice our, our comfort. We're going to have to sacrifice the demographics of our church. And we're going to have to give up our seat that we've been sitting in for 25 years. <laughs> and I don't want to do that because I like my seat and I like the people that I've gone to church with. And people don't like change. And uh, so we recognize that in order for us to get there, we're going to have to die. Right. Or they're going to have to die. But like both of us can't stay alive at the same time. You know what I mean? I can't coexist with a missional church while I'm not missional myself. Wow. So either I die to myself and I come alive to the Great Commission or I assassinate them and take them down so that I don't need to grow. Wow. And so I think that that's the motivation that that comes from is, is that people, they're just – they're not ready to go there, you know? Right. Um, and I think that people fear what they don't understand. And I think that they, I think they judge things that don't resemble them, right. you know? And um, it's funny because if you look in the Bible where the, the religious people brought the woman caught in the act of adultery and they throw her in front of Jesus, um, they're like, hey, she sinned. The law says she should die. And then Jesus looks at them and says, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. And it's in that moment that they realize, oh, wait, like I'm not so nice and neat myself. Right. Um, and and they they passed a judgment on somebody based off of an action that she committed um, that they themselves were guilty of committing. They were just too busy looking externally and judging somebody else's life instead of looking at themselves as believers. This woman didn't even we don't know that she professed to be a believer or a religious person. Right. They obviously did but they're more focused on her than themselves. And I think that what we need to do as believers is, is pray the prayer that David prayed when he said, God, search my heart, Mm -hmm. know me, see if there's any wickedness in my life and lead me in your way. Wow. So good. My goodness. There's a lot in what you just said there. And I think, I think for any pastor that is listening uh, or watching that, man, you know, take that to heart and make sure that we're not criticizing what we don't understand and and being you know if if a church is winning souls man we celebrate that that's the mission that's that's the great co-mission that's what we're supposed to be doing together that's that is so good and it doesn't take just an evangelist you know sure. at the helm of a church in order to win souls right i mean it it you know churches of are, would you classify yourself as an evangelist is that is that your main gift no <laughs> yeah <laughs> Me either. Like, I mean, people say, well, man, you must be an evangelist because you see souls saved in your church. I'm like, no, man, that, that's not it. No. No, but that's the great thing about the body of Christ is that God places the members in the body exactly as he wants. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by evangelists and prophets and preachers and teachers and all that sort of things. So, yeah. Um, so that's exciting. But I mean, you know, I, I think that there are some things that people are gifted to and called to. Um, but then there's some things that is just fundamentally required of Christians. Like, if you're a Christian, you might not be gifted to be an evangelist, but you are called to evangelize. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, well, according to Paul, right? He told Timothy, go and do the work of the evangelist. Didn't say go and be one. <laughs> that's so good. So, man, this has been so awesome. Is there anything that I, I should have asked you, but but you wish I had and, and I haven't yet? No, man, I mean, it was, it was all good. I mean, for, for me personally, I always think it's interesting to talk about uh, creativity and church culture. Yeah. And I, I mean... We don't have to get too much into that, but I just think that that's something that uh, a lot of people are, are are missing. And when we talk about being uh, missional and, and seeker sensitive and evangelistic and all that, I think that um, 
you know, the statistics for the United States is that the majority of churches are either plateaued or declining. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't remember the exact statistic off my head, so I don't want to say it because I don't want to be one of those people that makes up statistics. But it's definitely the majority. Um, and, and I think that a lot of that stems from the fact that I think the church, we we we've stopped being creative in how we reach people. Mm. Uh, and uh, we settle for mediocrity and we don't get innovative. We don't influence. We don't invent. And I think that the church needs to get passionate about how do we innovate in the space that we're in um, and, and how do we how do we create something that's going to garner attention? Yeah. Um, and so I see a lot of churches and like they're sticking to what worked 20 years ago. Um, you know, they're like, hey, let's go print out some flyers and let's go door to door and stuff like that. And I'm not knocking that because that has its place. But like that's not as effective as it used to be. Right. So what's working now and what's working in your community? Um, you know, another thing that I get sometimes, and, and I've, I've done this myself too, where I look at what another church is doing and say, okay, I have to do that. Um, because that's a lot easier than for me to sit down and, and, and seek God and get a vision for my context, wow. my community and get creative, um, to say, okay, how do I reach this, the people in my, uh, my area, in my context. That's so, so good. It's so important that we actually seek that out and say, God, how can we be creative and, and reach the people here? I'm not trying to be Hillsong or Bethel or Elevation or whatever it is. I'm not trying to preach like Stephen Furtick or T.D. Jakes or yeah. any of these people. God, who have you called me to be and, 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 and give me the discernment that I need to know how to reach the community you've called me to? That's so good, man. There's, that is so, so good. And I think if you're focused on on the mission, that's if you're focused on who you're trying to reach more than on who you're trying to keep trying to keep happy um right. then then you it does it pushes you to be creative and to and to look at it in in a new way that i mean creativity plays a a big big role in in what we, i mean after all we serve the creator so uh, we right. should have an element of creativity for sure to reach the loss but it, i i love what you just said about uh, you know about not trying to copy or emulate anybody else but but you know hey push push uh, to be creative yourself, and I think I think the ability to do that is who we focus on. Man, so rich, that's so good, awesome, man. Well, this has been a blast, and thank you so much for doing this. Where can where can our listener, listeners uh, connect with you online? Instagram, uh, Facebook, where 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 are you at? Man, you can find me on 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 Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you look for me on Instagram, it's at Daniel Jordan Gregory. Yeah. Uh, if you find me on Facebook, I mean, you probably find me the same way. Um, you can email me if you want. If you want to talk to me, uh, Pastor Daniel at victoryoflehigh.com. Um, if you want to check out any of the messages or whatever, um, you can find our church's YouTube channel, listen to sermons and stuff. It's Victory of Lehigh if you search that on YouTube. I don't have a website or a blog because I'm lazy. Um, but other than that, I mean, that's, that's how you find me. So awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us, man. This was, this was so good. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Pastor Kelly. Appreciate you, man. All right. What a great conversation with Pastor Daniel Gregory from Lehigh, Florida. Man, these conversations, these are so good. They're getting better and better. Yeah, they're amazing. Uh, What a great, uh, he's a great guy. Mm -hmm. He's got great hair. (laughs) (laughs) He lives in a great state. Uh, He's got a good tan. Anyway, um, we'll move past our man crush and (laughs) talk about what we learned. What what was your big takeaway? My biggest takeaway from him was uh, when he was talking about like how the old church used to focus on just selecting a few to to run the ministry like the deacons and that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and when he got it handed down from his father, it's like, no, I'm going to think team and I'm going to think of 
um, empowering others and elevating others as as many as I possibly can. That is so good, yeah. and and he he's doing that. I mean, they're they're rocking it, doing awesome. Yeah, and uh, he's also hosting a conference. This is what's so fun about about Pastor Dan is his church is called Victory Church. Yeah. He he was accusing me of stealing the name of our <laughs> church. Um, we we didn't. There's no connection there. But when he found out what the name of our podcast was, he he starts. He's like, no way, because four years ago. Him and his father started a conference called Go Conference, huh. and it is gonna. It's coming up November one to three. They've invited me to come and be one of the speakers and participate at it. But the purpose of that conference again is to inspire and equip pastors and leaders uh, to lead soul winning churches. Yeah, so yeah. right on the same mission. So check that out. Look for Go Conference Lehigh, Florida. It's November first to third. It's going to be awesome. Thank you so much again for joining us. How does someone join Go Team and moving this mission forward? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love it if you would go to iTunes and rate and review these podcasts and just allow us to get the word out there even more to help elevate churches. That helps us a lot. Also, you can join our Facebook group. We're on Instagram and check out our YouTube channel. Next episode, we have an amazing conversation with my friend and mentor. Uh, he's inspired me in many ways as a pastor and as a leader. Uh, his name is Pastor Leon Fontaine of Springs Church. And here's an excerpt of our conversation. And so I begin to do the work of meditating in the word, a meditative process mm. to absorb and connect with God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to help me to establish my heart in grace, the verse says. And as I begin to identify with, for example, rather than trying to become healed, I was the healed. It was my identity. Yeah. Already an heir of it. Um, when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to growing the church, it wasn't something that I was pursuing. It came out of a sense of identity. That's who I am. That's who I've been created to be. I'm an overcomer. I'm born of God. I walk in faith. I have his word. Holy Spirit is my helper. All right, join us next episode. You're not going to want to miss it with Pastor Leon Fontaine. Thank you again for joining us at GoCast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.